The Wicked Library is brought to you by Sanitary Magazine. Sanitary Magazine showcases original horror fiction and dark verse alongside news, reviews, and interviews. Now weekly as of June 1st. SanitaryMagazine.com Also brought to you by HorrorMade.com From horror haikus to author and filmmaker interviews to original art and dark fiction reviews, HorrorMade.com has a terrifyingly fun collection of dark things that are sure to delight. So whether you're looking for a little inspiration or maybe a place to share your short stories and creepy artwork, HorrorMade.com is your delightfully dark home for horror. psychiatrist so he or she can assure you it's only a story this podcast is intended for mature audiences only you've been warned kiddies As an additional warning, this episode of the Wicked Library contains graphic depictions of adult situations. If you're uncomfortable with that sort of thing, this is your warning. Rather than writing nasty letters to the author or the show, you can always choose to come back next week. For those brave enough to proceed, here comes a story by our friend Randy D. Rubin. Paradise Island Waves Derek woke up glistening in salty, single-malt-tinged sweat after having that same frightening dream of the approaching army coming up out of the depths of the dark and sparkling sea. Again, the dream woke him, that same dream washing over him as he slept like those whitecaps washing over the shore. A fortnight's worth of the sunshine and the sea were a prescription given by Derek's boss, who insisted he take some time off. You know, good to me on a slab of sequestered in some hospital bed, Derek. Take some time. Take your old lady or don't. Get some rest. Play some golf. Get laid. Cut back on the booze and eat something with tropical fruits or maybe some fish in it. He handed Derek the keys to the corporate beach house and told him to use the jet to get there. His vacation started immediately. Derek called Naomi and asked her if she could get away for a few weeks, starting right this minute. 
she squealed her excitement into the phone, had a bag packed, and met him at the airport an hour later. They were escorted to the corporate jet and took off. In minutes, once the plane had leveled off at altitude, Naomi and Derek joined the corporate jet's Mile High Club. Naomi then thanked Derek properly for this impromptu Highland vacation without saying a single word for the better part of half an hour. He sat back, closed his eyes, and sipped his single malt scotch. The next day, Derek and Naomi set off for the water park on the other side of the island that resembled a Mayan pyramid with a long, straight water slide carved into the center of the stones. It was crowded with vacationers and tourists and gamblers who needed to lay low for a bit, busted, or beaten in the casinos. Naomi wore her one-piece neon orange suit and a big straw hat and sunglasses with dark lenses big enough to serve coconuts on. Derek had on his long trunks and a polo shirt and his Panama hat. They headed for the locker so Naomi could lock her beach bag and belongings in it. She pulled the key bracelet up over her elbow and they set off for the first and mightiest of the water flumes. The lines were at least a quarter mile long at every water attraction. That gave Derek the opportunity to tell Naomi he'd had the same foreboding dream again. The army dream, he'd called it. And Naomi told him he might want to lay off the scotch after the sun goes down. Maybe drink more water or fruit juice. Derek nodded his head in nonchalant agreement, preoccupied with the shade of his thoughts and the feelings of unease he had allowed to resurface as he confessed his recurring dream to her. He stood silently beside her, his arm around her waist like a subway turnstile lever. Naomi felt like a weight was hanging from her hip. She pulled away from his limp arm and started a slightly provocative dance as they slowly advanced to the steps of the attraction. Derek smiled a weak, tepid, milquetoast smile and continued forward. There's a party tonight, did you hear? Naomi asked. Somewhere close to the other casino. The governor of the island is throwing a casual soiree at his mansion. We're invited cordially, of course, by the governor's wife herself. How about them apples? I met her in the casino gift shop the other night, and we chatted over mascara and lip glosses. She's a living doll, that lady. Can we go, sweetie? Does it sound like it might be fun? What? Yeah, yeah, of course. Sure, let's go. When is it again? Derek asked. Uh, I just said it's tonight. Hello, Earth Derek. Testing, testing. Pull out of that death spiral in your head and stop flying solo. Let's have some fun here. Are you with me? Or are you just walking beside me but off somewhere else? Naomi sounded perturbed. The whole vacation so far had a black cloud over it named Derek, and she was just about ready to step out of the rain and into someone else's sunshine. As they approached the water park worker handing out the inner tubes at the base of the steps... Naomi said, Hey, handsome. Could you hand me one of those for my older brother? Yeah, this guy behind me. Thanks, sweetie. God, you're adorable. See ya, cutie. She advanced with a wink and her best flirtatious smile. She handed Derek his tube and held one for herself. Derek was livid. 
It only took three half-hour lines and three towers worth of wet wooden steps before Naomi was ready to leave. Derek was ready as soon as she called that young college boy cutie. Derek played the part, brightened up and smiled and doted on her every word. The charade was flawless, but Derek was going to destroy her when they got home. She'd probably enjoy the powerful grudge fuck he was going to give her before he set her packing. Derek had quite enough of Miss Naomi's bullshit. He was going to get his money's worth out of this amateur call girl, this smart-ass gold digger. Then, sayonara, bitch, carry your ass. Derek drove them back to the beach house, two fingers inside Naomi for the entire trip. His head ached from the stress and the pressure. His smile fell painted on his face as he pleasured the woman in the passenger seat. She lay back in the seat and closed her eyes, finally happy to get the attention she felt so deprived of lately. She guided his hand with both of hers. She got her first orgasm as they pulled into the driveway and shut off the car. They raced to the bedroom, kicking off shoes and peeling off bathing attire locked together, for the most part at the lips, and ultimately Naomi's legs. Derek gave Naomi what she wanted. Then he gave her what he felt she deserved. He took her until he hurt her. He pounded into her. He slapped her skin pink. He pulled her hair. He whispered vile names through his teeth. He made her beg and scream and bruise. He made her gag. He filled her and made her yell his name over and over in submission. He pummeled her every opening. Naomi begged him for more. She cried tears of joy and pain as he unloaded into her throat. Then, at the last minute, all over her face and eyes. Naomi told Derek that she loved him. Derek rolled over beside Naomi on the bed and told her to pack her things and get the fuck out. Then he got up, completely naked, and walked out onto the back patio with a fresh glass and a new bottle of single malt scotch. He wiped himself off on her discarded swimsuit and tossed it to the floor. It took almost 14 hours of screaming and crying and pleading and begging, and finally, Derek had to call the Paradise Island police to have Naomi arrested. She went on a glass-shattering tirade and had threatened Derek in front of two police officers before they carted her away in handcuffs, citing her with several misdemeanors. As a final parting shot, Derek told the police that his company owned this property, and her destroying its contents only hurts the firm, not him, really. As they pushed her head down into the back of the vehicle, Derek shouted from the front steps, See you, cutie. See what happens when you piss off your older brother, sweetie. Then he downed his scotch and went back inside, quietly closing the door behind him. That night, for the third night in a row, Derek dreamed of the army of giants pressing ever forward, stealthily marching and advancing under the sea toward some 
unknown destination. There were so many rows and ranks of them stretching out across the ocean floor. They moved as one, each step perfectly choreographed to come down on the sand at the exact same moment. He wanted to scream, but the water pressed in on his lungs. He quickly felt the need to swim upwards toward the light and breathe in actual air. Derek pumped his legs and kicked his legs over and over again, trying desperately to reach the surface. He was so afraid he wouldn't make it before he had to inhale the seawater and lose consciousness. He pumped his arms down to his sides in the widest of arcs, forcing his legs to help propel his body upward. Derek could see the sunny surface above him. He screamed himself awake on the bed. He wiped a row of moisture from his forehead with one drenched arm. He sat up quickly. He wasn't sure if he was still dreaming or actually awake. He felt the sheets, the pillows, and his bedclothes. The entire bed, including the mattress, was soaked with seawater. Derek called the cleaning service next morning around 10, and they sent a crew to tidy up the beach house and remove all the damage Naomi had caused. He mostly needed them to sweep up the broken glass and change the bed linens. Two beautiful island native ladies stripped his bed of soiled sheets and wet vacuumed most of the water from his drenched mattress. They slid the mattress out onto the back patio in an attempt to let the warm sea breeze work its magic on it while they tackled other cleaning chores around the house. Furniture was wiped and dusted, floors were swept and mopped, all three bathrooms were scrubbed spotless, glass shards were bagged up, and all the trash was removed to the receptacles. Disinfectant spray was applied in every room. By early afternoon, Derek was drinking scotch on the back patio as the cleaning crew said their goodbyes. He thanked them and tipped each person a $20 bill. They said they'd invoice the cleaning bill to his company sometime next week. Then they took their carts of cleaning supplies and left quietly. There was a sense of freshness in the breeze. Derek felt as if his life was getting ready for a do-over or a replay. The beach house showed no evidence of Naomi ever being there now. Derek exhaled heavily into his scotch glass. He poured another and set it on the table next to his chase lounge. He picked up his stereo remote, and soft jazz filled the afternoon breeze. He removed his sunglasses and closed his eyes, thinking to himself that the one cleaning lady wasn't bad looking at all. Without opening his eyes, he reached for a drink and downed it all in one huge gulp. He returned the glass to the table and slowly drifted off to sleep. He was sitting in the sand at the surf's edge, and the waves were higher than usual and breaking further out than they normally do, some 50 yards back. The air was warm and humid. Several birds circled the sky overhead. He saw Naomi coming toward him from off in the distance, down the beach. She was walking hand in hand with that one cleaning girl he found so attractive. Next to her walked Miss Metallic Pink Bikini, holding a frisbee disc, or maybe it was a hula hoop. He couldn't tell from the distance and the glare of the sun. 
He watched as the three of them came closer to where he sat there in the sand. He went to reach down and grab his scotch glass and take a drink, keeping his eyes on the advancing trio of beauties. When he took a sip of sand, a tiny hermit crab pinched his lip and he panicked and brushed the crab off his face, throwing away the glass and quickly standing up. When he looked back at the three approaching women, they were standing waist deep in the ocean, the waves breaking against their bellies. As the water receded, he saw that each one of them had been skewered through their bellies with a gold-tipped spearhead. Little pools of blood trailed off behind them, riding the waves, causing three thin crimson stripes in the water. They stood motionless and slightly hunched forward in the surf. Further out to sea, some two feet in front of the ladies, a line of helmets crested the waves, and a line of spear tips and shafts was visible in a straight line for as far as the eyes could see. Derek screamed as the three ladies were hoisted into the air like three gigged frogs. Then they were flipped behind the line of spearheads and out into the depths of the sea. He woke up, the scream still issuing from his throat. In the chase lounge, his cushion was covered in sweat. It was late afternoon and his head was throbbing. His eyes were almost the same shade of pink as his fantasy's bikini bottoms. His mouth was completely dry and tasted of peat moss and dead crab. He quickly poured himself another scotch, if for no other reason than to wet his sand-dry mouth and parched throat. There was an urgency to get up and piss, so he staggered to the nearest bathroom and relieved himself of some of the scotch he was toting. He contemplated Thai food for dinner later. He wondered what Naomi was up to. The music had stopped. That realization hadn't occurred to him until the end of his piss flow. He decided to leave the music off and relish the silence. The medicine cab then had some generic Tylenol, and he ate three of them, downing them with the last gulp of scotch. He poured another when he returned to the patio and decided to surf watch as the sun went down. He grabbed his bottle, slid into his flip-flops, and walked toward the waves. Derek plopped down on the sand just left of the wooden walkway and spilled scotch all over himself. He tossed the glass under the wooden planks of the pier-like walkway decking and proceeded to swig scotch straight from the bottle. The sun was an inch from the horizon and blazing orange. It painted the underside of the clouds a similar hue, slowly deepening to pink. The sun would eventually bathe the cloud bellies in red and would soon close its one bloodshot eye behind the ocean's dark gray expanse. Derek tipped his scotch bottle up and drank deeply, gulping several mouthfuls before lowering it to the sand between his legs. He leaned back into the sand and rested his head on his forearm, glancing up at the sky. Soon, he passed out. His eyes grew heavy and his head waved goodbye. Derek once again dreamed that fitful dream. He watched as they marched forward staying just out of reach of the giants and the gold tips of their mighty spears. He swam as a sea lion or a seal where an eel might swim, with fluid tail movements and lightning-quick reflexes, able to turn abruptly 
and speed away in a multitude of directions. He swam for his life. This time he wasn't worried about drowning, and whenever he needed to breathe, he just propelled himself up and out of the water and took in a cleansing breath, only to return to the water and soar off in a smooth and fluid swish of seawater. He leapt and dived, leapt and dived, turned and jetted ahead in a new angle through the seawater, keeping a watchful eye on the mighty giant army and their almost mechanical underwater movements. As he swam forward, facing backwards to judge their distance, an octopus wrapped its tentacles around his waist and tightened. It may have been a squid. Derek wasn't sure. He tried to twist away and found himself locked in tightly around his midsection. The creature, whatever it was, seemed to be pulling Derek down and wrapping him in its slimy but strong grip. There was a bluish-black ink all around him, and he found himself blinded by it. He thrashed about and tugged at his bonds as best he could, but to no avail. He was being stung by something sharp. He was being punctured, and his blood was moving, and his blood was mixing with the ink cloud around him. He tried to scream, and liquid rushed into his mouth. Derek woke up in the sand. Naomi was straddling him, her knife piercing his chest and neck, and still she stabbed. Blood spurted from several of the puncture wounds, and still she stabbed him. She clamped her legs around his waist, pinning his arms to his side. Derek was so inebriated, he could barely move. She'd punctured his vocal cords, so he couldn't scream. She pierced his lungs in several places, making it difficult for Derek to take a full breath. He was drowning in his own juices. She whispered vile things, stinging things into his ear as she stabbed him. Terrible things like, I loved you, you bastard. I loved you like no other. Derek, you selfish prick. And other terms of endearment. Derek looked up at her with his bloodshot, roomy eyes in shock and disbelief. He wondered if he were dreaming still. He wondered when he would wake from this shitty dream. He tried to ask her if it was real or just a figment of his scotch-soaked imagination. She brought the slim fisherman's fillet knife up and down in several more two-handed arcs, and one of them severed his carotid blood pumped past her into the air and stained the sand behind her a bright red. Derek followed the fountain of crimson that sprayed over her shoulder and down to the surf's edge. As he began to lose consciousness, he saw, not ten feet from Naomi's back, a perfect row of brightly polished golden spear tips rising up out of the foamy white-capped waves. Stay tuned for a short Q&A with the author in just a moment. If you enjoyed today's episode, tune in again next week for a great new Wicked Tale by K.B. Goddard. 
Today's episode featured a story by Randy D. Rubin, Paradise Island Waves. If you'd like more information on Randy D. Rubin's work, please visit dreadmere.com. That's D-R-E-A-D-M-E-R-E.com. And Randy is also on Facebook. Artwork for today's show was created by Alex J. Murd. If you'd like more information on Alex's work, please visit crazedpixel.com. And you can follow Alex on Twitter at crazedpixel. Big thanks to Cynthia Lohman for a great story last week with Train Man and to John Towers for the kick-ass art. Don't forget to visit our sponsors, shadowsatthedoor.com, rickertandbeaglebooks.com, horrormade.com, and sanitariummagazine.com. Please share the terror. Share the show. Help us grow. Tell a friend. Or maybe that weird lady in the break room about us. Aside from that, the best support you can give us is to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in. Ratings are free. They mean a lot. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter for a chance to win great prizes, get bonus content, and more. Sign up at thewickedlibrary.com. And now, Randy D. Rubin. All right, so today my guest is Randy D. Rubin, and we just listened to his fantastic story. I just wanted to let you know, I, I thought that uh, it was interesting because when you, when you get into this story, it's, uh, it's kind of the story about somebody's vacation and just things going horribly wrong for them. But beneath that, there's this whole other subtext, this whole dark undercurrent, and there, there's almost kind of like a Lovecraftian, Lynchian type of high strangeness going on. And I just thought that the the two stories being told layer upon layer are very interesting to me. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> the Lovecraftian, Lynchian undercurrent thing. Yeah, I just, you know, I like to tell a good story, and that just popped into my head one night out of a dream, and uh, I wrote it down. Yeah. Was it hard to capture the the feeling that you had in the dream? Because I think, I mean, if, if when you say that, I mean, that's one of the things I always liked about Lynch's work. There's this very dream-like, surreal quality to it, and I think you managed to translate that over to the story really well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it started as a... Just about every story that I've written starts as a nightmare or a dream. And I get up, I've got a nightmare log next to my bed. And when I have these vivid dreams like this, I write them down and or write down the, you know, basic concept. Mm-hmm. And then having insomnia most nights or getting up three or four times a night to piss, I'll run down to my office that I call the box mm-hmm. and I'll just start typing. And it's, I'm a, what they call a pantser writer. Yeah. I write. Uh, I don't plot anything. I just write what's in my head and I let it, it sort of flows. It just kind of does its own thing and it writes itself while my fingers are moving. And before you know it, I got the story. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way that I do my writing as well. Usually it starts with a kernel of a concept and, you know, it becomes this found thing as you go along. It's kind of like you're, you're brushing things away to get to it. Right. Right. Like an archeologist with a brush or, you know, you're scooping away all the dirt and dust and shit to get to the underlying good stuff of the story. You know? Right. Yeah. Very rarely do I have the ending in mind when I start. I think that's happened to me like 
probably two times where I knew the ending first and it was kind of, how do I get there? But most of the time, that's part of what I enjoy about the experience is, is finding out what's actually going on as I move through it. Right. Me too. Me too. Because if I do preconceive an ending, by the time I write the story, it's not the same ending. Yeah. yeah. You know, it kind of drives itself to whatever conclusion it comes to. Exactly. Which is cool. Oh, it's absolutely. cool as a writer too, because you're enjoying where it's going as you're writing it. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it, it can be really cool where it's, it's almost like you're taking dictation. And, and that's when that flow starts. I think that's probably the, the most fun that I have doing it. Yeah, I call it the zone. When I hit the zone, I am like the most happy. It's almost an adrenaline rush, you know. But then, too, there are stories where I've wanted that zone, and it has eluded me through most of the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like having to pick each word or each prepositional phrase, and I'm like, dear God, you know, please, let's get to the end of this one, please. Which I have a whole, I have a whole like cloud. <laughs> I have my own cloud of false starts where I'll start a story and it'll just kind of die on the vine, and I'll go, I'll come back to that in another, you know, at another time. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you, you you have kind of like a repository that you can go back to and go, okay, was I going to do something with this? And most writers that I've talked to have described similar experiences where you know the story is in there, it's just not ready to come out yet. You know, a year later, you find it. Yeah, you got to put it away and then bring it back out, dust it off. Now, where the hell was I going with this? <laughs> right. And then, you know, before you know it, oh, wait a minute, let's do this. Yeah. Boom. And then you're in the zone and then it comes to an end. Yeah. That's cool stuff. So what did you think of your cover this week? I loved it. I loved it. Very, very graphic and uh, and colorful. I like orange anything. Yeah. And uh and I thought that was just amazing. That artist is something else. Yeah, that's uh, Alex Murd. And I'll tell you, the, the contrast that you're talking about, the orange and the blue contrasting each other, and obviously that's somebody that knows their, their colors really well because they're you know opposites on the color wheel. I just actually learned that from my good friend John Towers. Um, really? Yeah, he's, he said, you know, when you pick opposites on the color wheel, they pop. And, and that's one of the cool things that I noticed about that cover is the contrast from the orange to the blue. And you just have kind of like this... I think Alex described it as like a, a candy Caribbean type of feel to it, but there's something very dark going on as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the tone that I wanted to, uh, you know, purvey in the story. It's, it's a bright, sunny, sunshiny thing, but it's also that, you know, like I, what was that show tales from the dark side where they mm -hmm. flipped the black and white to a, like a white and black negative thing. Right. That's the vibe I was trying to go for. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, that we, when we talked, when Alex and I talked about it, I said, well, you know, this is kind of the image that I have in mind, you know, so that it's it's not clear what's going on there. There's this sexual overtone to it. But at the same time, I'm like, there's a knife in her hands, but it's just out of frame. You don't see the knife. So right. when the reader first sees it, they see, oh, these people are, are about to, to get intimate with each other, which, of course, occurs in the story. But you know, there's, there's something else that's going to happen. And I don't want to re I never want to reveal it with the cover. I just want to kind of tease. And, right. uh, when you finish the story, you should be able to look back at the cover and say, Oh, the spears are off to the side there. And I bet I know what she's doing up there. And that look on his face reflected in the sunglasses, you know? So it, it, it was a lot of fun to do that with, uh, the art and with the story. And, and Alex did a fantastic job. So I'm yeah, just lucky really to have did. so many talented artists a part of the show this season. Yeah, yeah, I I saw the uh, 
their Facebook pages are amazing. The artwork they do is amazing. I'm pretty selective. Maddie left some big shoes to fill. Yeah, she did. So for you, what's the most fun about being an artist, being a writer? Uh, other people reading it and enjoying it. Now, don't get me wrong. I like writing. I, In fact, it's a part of my life like blood in my circulatory system is mm-hmm. a part of my life. I have to write or I feel dirty and nasty. <laughs> but I, I do. No, I, I understand. And uh, if I don't write, I feel gooey. You know, yeah. So... Right. Uh, but for me, the most, and I'm not really into it for the money. I like hearing people say, man, that was a kick-ass story you told. Yeah. Or, uh, I like that poem or I like the, the way you made all that rhyme or, or I'm starting to see, you know, as I collect your tales, your, your style or your voice coming through. And I, and I like that. You know? Yeah. That's what I like about my, what I do now. Ultimately, I'd like to grow, grow a bigger audience. That's that's my hope. You know? Well, that's always our hope, too, for our authors. You know, the more folks we can get the, the work out to, the more people that want to share it and, and get it out to their friends and other people, yeah. maybe enemies, people that they don't like. You know. Yeah. We'll, we'll I take whichever. I love telling stories. I love telling stories. What makes you gravitate towards some of the darker ones? Because I know you write a lot of darker stuff. I want to say I just have a dark outlook on life, but I don't. I'm kind of the, I'm I'm extremely, I don't know how to explain it, but I've got a lot of voices in my head. <laughs> and then, <laughs> well, you know, Nelson and I have talked about it before too, and it's we've come to this agreement that the horror writers and the folks that write the darker stuff are some of the most normal, kindest, best people we we know, and I think it's because yeah. we get all the crap out. Yeah, it's cathartic. It's, exactly. It's like a brain uh, scrubbing. Right. But uh, I, yeah, I've got, and I do a lot of this deep thinking. I especially do a lot of deep thinking early in the morning when it's dark. Mm-hmm. And I put these little what if statements together, like, you know, uh, what would happen if you woke up one day and you were sitting in front of a demon and you were tied to a chair and you were being slowly tortured and you were, and then it just grows and progresses, you know? No, that's a great way to do it. But a lot of times it's just my dreams. I wake up and go, man, that was the most vivid dream I've had in weeks. And I'll sit down and write it down. And then if I can fall back to sleep, I'll fall back. Most times I can't, I sit there and pick it apart in my brain and say, you know what? I'm just going to get up and write it. Let's go, go downstairs and let's write the damn thing. And that's how it, that's how uh, the stories get told. It's one of the most helpful things that I ever learned is that the muse does not have a schedule. She comes whenever she wants, and she's not going to stay around long. If you don't get up and, and write it down, it's not going to be there three hours well, later. You're absolutely right. And sometimes I try to give myself catchphrases to try and remember it. Like this one poem I'm getting ready to write, uh, I've got it's, – it's called Pride and Paranoia. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, I had to write that down real quick because the whole concept of the poem was going away as fast as it came to me. <laughs> and I, so I wrote down pride. And pride. So a couple of hours later, I go back to my magic pad of writing because I do all my poetry by hand mm-hmm. and then stories I type out on the c- computer. Mm-hmm. But uh, I went back and read pride and paranoia and I've just lost everything <laughs> that I was, <laughs> what the hell was I thinking about? You know, the rest of it just left. Yeah. So it didn't even work. <laughs> Well, you, since you write both poetry and prose, is it easy to shift between the two, or do you find that to be a challenge? 
No, it's easy. I can write anything. I write drabbles, which are those hundred word stories. In fact, it's kind of like I give myself homework assignments because I just finished this novella. Mm-hmm. It's like 18,500 words of, of this story about the river sticks and Sharon and all that. Mm-hmm. So now I want to write short pieces. So I'm working on uh, drabbles again. Because I want more drabbles in my little repertoire. I just learned about drabbles, and I love them, those 100-word stories. Yeah. And then I want to get more microfiction, which are stories between, uh, what, 200 and 1,000? Okay. Anything under 1,000 words. Microfiction, they call it. So I want to get some more of those down, and then I'll go back to writing, you know, short stories or whatever comes my way. You know, I don't, I just, whatever inspires me at the time is where I'm going. Yeah, it's interesting because there are times whenever you write, sit down to write something and you think it's one thing and all of a sudden you realize it's a bigger story or maybe it's a smaller story. Exactly. This this novel or novella that I just wrote, I was trying desperately to get it to a novel length, mm-hmm. just trying my heart out without making fluff. You know what I mean? Because you can add fluff. Oh, yeah. And, it just, and people can tell when you're adding fluff. <laughs> right. But in order to, to keep the story, you know, pertinent, I was I was adding certain storylines, but the harder I tried, it just died at eighteen five. It died right there. I'm like, this is a novella. You're not going to get it to novel length. There's not enough story here. Right. And I finally just settled on, okay, this is the end. Stop trying to add more shit to it. It's done. <laughs> True. <laughs> no, the story does tell you whenever it's done. It tells you when yeah. it's done. Exactly. It says that's it. The end. So, you know, that, that makes me think of something. A lot of writers that I talk to say that their biggest challenge is what to do with a scene that's not working. I mean, in, in other words, do you rewrite it? Do you move move it to a different part of the story? Do you scrap it? You can do all of the above. Um, you can rewrite it. I have, you know, with any story, if I get stuck somewhere, I just get up. I'm like, let me go away for a little bit because it's starting to piss me off. And usually... <laughs> I can go mow the lawn or I'll go read a little bit or I'll dabble in stuff. I'll cook dinner. Mm-hmm. And then when I come back, it's like, okay, now I know where I'm going. Or right. let's try this. Or to heck with it. Take it out. You yeah. know, put something else in there. It's yeah. killing you. Take it out. You know, it's supposed to be fun. Exactly. It's Yeah, <laughs> you know? it, should, it shouldn't have to be something that you have to force out. It'll come on its own yeah. if you let it. And I found, too, that if I don't like what I'm reading, somebody else ain't going to like what I'm reading. <laughs> you know what true. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm picky that way. I know what I like. And if, if I don't like reading a certain scene or a certain bit of the story, I, I'm like, then somebody else isn't going to like it. They're going to see right through it. Yeah. The reader knows when you're bullshitting. Them. At least I do. <laughs> right. I know when people add shit to a story just to add it, just to add fluff. So – what do you normally find yourself reading? Are you, or do you read mostly horror, or do you explore other genres as well? Well, I like fantasy a lot, too. I'm not big on sci-fi, although I have read a few. Uh, I have trudged through a few, but mostly I like fantasy. I like horror, and I like uh, I like stories that are, that are set in, uh, like, different time zones. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, different times. Yeah. Uh, I, like, I love Jules Verne's um, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Love that story. In fact, that was one of the first ones I ever read. Uh, I like everything by Terry Brooks mm-hmm. that he's put out, the Spellsinger series, all of his Shannara books. Dear God, the man has written some Shannara books. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, well, they're getting ready to make a series out of that. I yeah. don't know if you know that. And um, who else? King, of course, he is my all-time favorite. Stephen King, Edgar Allan Poe, Shakespeare, of course. I love Shakespeare. Uh, so it's an eclectic mix. Right now I'm reading uh, Patrick Freevald's Jade Sky, mm -hmm. and that is a roller coaster ride. I mean, from page one, you are on the roller coaster, and he hasn't let up. It's relentless, and I, I am enjoying it because I haven't had that kind of a fast-paced read in quite a while. Yeah. Especially reading stuff like Algernon Blackwood or uh, or Lovecraft. Oh, my God, you know? <laughs> Um, what advice do you have for those writers who are afraid to share their work that feel it might be too scary or too gross or too whatever it is? Uh, well, my advice is like every other writer's advice. Um, basically, you just got to do it. You just got to get past the fear. It's like jumping into ice water. It's like that first jump into a pool. You've got to just do it. Just Set your mind to close your eyes if you have to and jump in. You know what I mean? Get wet. And not one toe at a time. I mean, jump in. Jump right. in. Get immersed in it. And then when you get rejected, because you will get rejected, think about that. Mm -hmm. You will get rejected a thousand times, but the first time you get accepted, it'll wipe that. It'll wipe it all away. It wipes every bit of that rejection away and you're on cloud nine and brother, it's worth it at that. I mean, you just feel like a million bucks. Yeah. You might, you may only make five bucks, but you <laughs> feel like a million bucks. Right. You know what I mean? So we were, before we got started and we were, we were chatting, you were talking about some of the projects and, and things that you have going on. Um, what, uh, what can folks look for and what can folks do to, to interact with you and, and be on the watch for? Oh, okay. Well, First of all, I'm on Facebook, uh, and I, my name is Randy D. Rubin, and you can find my um, find me on Amazon. Uh, I have an Amazon author page as well, and I have my website, which is called uh, www.dreadmere, D-R-E-A-D-M-E-R-E.com, dreadmere.com. Dreadmere is that place I go to in my head. Kind of like Faulkner's Yaknapatafa County. That's Dreadmere <laughs> is my place. That's, That's where excellent. all the evil and the horror comes from. So uh, it's called Dreadmere, and uh, that's my place, and that's my website. And I'm also at my email address is randy.rubin13 at gmail.com. 13 is, is an important number in my life. Excellent. And, uh, and that's where I'm at. And what am I doing? Okay, I've got two more poetry collections ready to go. I'm looking for people that will take poetry collections. And uh, I've got another one supposedly supposed to be coming out here shortly with Eldritch Press, my second one. And I just uh, sold my third one to EMP Publishing. And it will be uh, included in the big prison compendium that's due out next year. Uh, it's all prison-themed poetry, and they're going to have prison-themed stories, and then my poems are going to be sandwiched in between each story. Oh, that's, so that's cool. An that's an interesting concept, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm working on a children's horror book that I'm trying to make a, a coffee table edition children's horror book, and uh, that's going on. And then I have another project that is top secret. And then, of course, whatever stories pop between now and the next time I see you, you know, right. I've got 
I've got so many ideas and so many voices in my head that I'm going to be writing for the next 25 years. So I'm, I've got plenty of stories to come out, and i got plenty of old stories to keep sending out right now that nobody's even read yet. That's excellent. So, lots of good stuff here. I want to try and get a collection of short stories together. And then my, my overall goal in life, and I still haven't been able to do it, is I want to write a novel. And I am going to write a novel sooner or later, but I am learning it. And every time I get one of these novellas going, I am pushing for novel length. Mm -hmm. So sooner or later, it's going to happen. It's a, it's <laughs> right. like weaving a tapestry. And right now, all I'm good with are those little pot holders that you put on the little kid's loom. And you, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. about all I can do. And I'm trying to do it like an East Indian Hindu tapestry <laughs> rug or something. Novel. And it's not coming out. But I will do it sooner or later, by God. Excellent. That's what I've got going on in my future. Very good. Well, I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes so folks can just go right over to the episode and they'll find links to your Amazon page and your website, your email account if they want to send you a message. And, uh, you know, we'll be on the lookout for more from you in the future. Why, thank you. I do appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk today and really appreciate you sharing the story with us. Paradise Island Waves. I'm, I hope everybody likes it. And I'll probably try to do this every season. I'll try to get in here every season. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you're always welcome back. It, it was a lot of fun to do the story, and uh, I know everybody's going to be wanting more from you in the future. All right. Well, thank you, Dan. You bet. All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyrighted of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. Dramatic reading performed by Daniel Foytek. That's me. The voice of the librarian was performed by Nelson W. Piles. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. The Wicked Library theme was written by Anthony Rousick and performed by Novus. All other music in this episode was performed by Kevin McLeod and Dark Mood Music and was used with their permission. Check the show notes for titles and credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. NinthStory.com Producer, Daniel Foytek. Program Director, Caitlin Marceau. Executive Producer and Creator, Nelson W. Piles. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at www.thewickedlibrary.com forward slash 613. Until next time, this has been Daniel Foytek. Go ahead, leave the lights on. It'll make it easier for your girlfriend to find the knife.
What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.